From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me today. I appreciate you. Um, So we have a big show. Kyle Anzalone is going to be joining us momentarily. As always, when Kyle's here, (laughs) there's so much to talk about. Um, I actually just tweeted out the meme. I'm sure everybody has seen it. I don't even remember what show it's from because I don't watch a lot of TV, but it's the woman with she's like trying to do all the uh, math calculations in her head Uh, because that's me every time Kyle comes on the show because he writes so many great articles and I'm always trying to figure out which ones to talk about how I can tie them in together. Uh, So yeah, just a big show. There's going to be a lot. Um, Okay, so just to give you a heads up about what's coming up for this week. So obviously, today we have Kyle Anzalone. Tomorrow, we have my pal Chicho. Um, He's amazing. I can't wait for him to be on the show. He is so much fun. He is incredibly intelligent, um, follows a lot of geopolitical stuff, um, and is just a cool dude. Very down to earth, uh, very chill. Um, Wednesday, Jason Burmis. Obviously, it's always a great show when Jason Burmis is on. Uh, Thursday, we have the one and only Scott Horton who is an incredible uh, author and journalist and um, speaker and all of that stuff. He's one of those guests that I can literally just ask one question and then not talk for an hour because I'm sure that'll be great for you guys too uh, because he just, uh, he he knows his stuff. And then on Friday, my dear pal, Kit Cabello from Hardlands Media will be on the show and that's always always a good time. Uh, So definitely don't miss a minute, 5 p.m. Eastern right here on TNT Radio. Um, Okay, so a couple quick things I want to go over. Um, There are a ton of a events coming up. Tons, y'all. There are tons and tons. Um, Let me pull up. So first of all, if you are looking for Assange events at any point, at any time um, throughout the year, anywhere across the globe, uh, you need to go and follow my dear friend, Alex Hills. Uh, She runs the page on Twitter called Candles for Assange. It's the number four. Um, I think she also does it on Facebook. I know at one time she was suspended on Facebook which is ridiculous, but thanks, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but uh, she's definitely on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, so I don't know for sure if she's back on there, but uh, definitely on Twitter, at Candles for Assange. Um, and there are numerous events coming up. Most of them um, are taking place on December 22nd. Um, that's kind of been named a global day of action for Julian Assange, but there are some that are taking place on various different days around the 22nd, the 17th, the 19th, things like that. Um, so, uh, a couple notable ones, um, there's going to be one in London on the 22nd from 6 PM to 7 30 at Belmarsh. That's a big one. Obviously that is where Julian Assange is being held, uh, essentially in solitary confinement without charge. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, they are going to be doing, um, uh, lanterns for Assange. So if you're going to go, uh, if you can bring a lantern with you, that would be much appreciated. That's kind of the gist of that one. Also, there's going to be one in Washington, D.C. This one's on Sunday, uh, the 17th of December. This is from 4 to 5 p.m. at the White House. So they're going to meet on the corner of Pennsylvania and Lafayette. Uh, and just look for the Assange banners. They'll be out there. Um, so if you're in D.C. on the 17th from 4 to 5 p.m., go and hang out with them. Um, also, I wanted to mention uh, Alex is actually holding a sort of a joint, uh, a combined event in Wellington uh, for Assange and uh, Barry Young, who is the New Zealand whistleblower that everybody's been talking about uh, recently. Um, so he's currently being dragged through the courts for telling the truth. 
so ridiculous. Um, so they're going to march silently around media headquarters. Um, and uh, prior to that, they're going to have an info session for Assange in the park. So they're meeting at Midland Park at 2 p.m. And then they're going to march to the media headquarters. So again, that one is on December 22nd, uh, 2 p.m. at Midland Park is where the initial uh, info session will be at. Um, also, they are going to be, oops, hold on, hit the wrong button. Hold, please. I have like 982 tabs open right now because Kyle's on the show. So there's always a lot of things to discuss. Um, uh, also, my friend Halo in Tulsa, if you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, they are a fantastic crew over there. They're having one on the 22nd of December um, on the corner of 71st and Riverside at dusk, just at dusk. There's no spe specified time, um, just when the sun goes down. Um, if you are in, let me find Denver. Oh, Sydney. If you're in Sydney, Wednesday, December 22nd, there's one at the U.S. Consulate at noon. There's one on Thursday, uh, December uh, 21st at uh, Anthony Albanese's office. And then Friday the 22nd, there's one at Town Hall uh, at 5 p.m. Again, if you want to find any of these, just go to Candles, the number four Assange, Candles for Assange on Twitter. Um, and Alex does this all the time. She collects all of these events um, as they come up throughout the year, all across the globe, and she tweets them out from one central location. So Denver, Another pal, a uh, group of mine, uh, Kendra runs a great uh, organization over there. They have one on Friday the 22nd from 4 to 6 p.m. at Civic Center Park. Um, so there's lots and lots and lots of events taking place. I couldn't even begin to go through all of them. I think there's, uh, I don't know, probably 20 to 24 of them maybe around there. Um, so go to Candles for Assange. Find one near you. If you cannot find an event near you, hey, just be an event near you. Um, it doesn't take much. We're willing to help you out if you want to contact me or any of the other people who I've had on the show who are uh, involved in that kind of stuff. We're always willing to lend a hand and help you get started. So um, it doesn't take much. A poster board, a Sharpie, and a sidewalk. And you are an instant protest. So um, if you would like to be an event, uh, just give us a holler and we will help you get uh, situated. So uh, don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. You can check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. There's a write-up for the guests of the day every day so that you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And if you would like, you can shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Uh, if you have a guest idea, show idea, you want to rant about something, you have a question, whatever hit me up i will try to get back to you um and by the way don't miss out on a thing you can download the tnt radio app from either the apple app store or google play that's how i listen is on the app uh so you can easily listen live to us anywhere anytime it's available right now to download for free uh, and we will be keeping you up to speed right here on tnt radio the facts no spin or agenda not enough with the lies we need the facts this is today's news talk radio tnt all right, on Monday, Elon Musk's online platform X, it's Twitter, uh, became the first tech company to face an official investigation under Europe's tough new regulations purported to protect people from toxic online content. And of course, of course, the boogeyman, dangerous disinformation. So here with this story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, aka Ruckus. All right, Adam, we've been talking about Europe's uh, shenanigans on this show for a while. So uh, what's going on with Twitter here? Yes, no laughing matter, Misty. This is serious. This, you know, dangerous, <laughs> illegal content online. It's it's deadly. Toxic. Um, so shout shout out real quick to the 112 million users, Twitter heads uh, or X, whatever, uh, on the platform there out in Europe. They're finally going to get some answers, Misty, as to whether or not, uh, thanks to this EU investigation, whether or not X failed to do enough to curb the spread of content that's illegal. 
such as hate speech or incitement of terrorism. So, yeah, we're going to get to the bottom of this. The uh, European Commission announced on Monday that it's specifically investigating whether X's content moderation practices violate the EU's DSA, the Digital Services Act. In particular, the investigation is set to focus on whether X allowed content that is illegal under the DSA to be shared, quote, in the context of Hamas terrorist attacks against Israel, end quote. Oh, they're being very specific here, from what I gather. Under existing EU laws, illegal online content can include a number of categories. Uh, and <laughs> probably too many to list here. Uh, but such as content that incites or otherwise contributes to terrorism. Uh, illegal content under EU laws can also include hate speech and incitement to violence. The European Commission did not specify exactly what types of illegal content appeared on X following the Hamas attacks that might constitute illegal online content, but it is known that images of the attacks were captured and shared on the platform. Sounds good enough to me. The European Commission commission announced that its investigation will also delve into whether X's community notes feature has been an effective tool in combating information manipulation on the platform. That's right. Information manipulation. I love this. Uh, Margrethe Vestager, the executive vice president of the European Commission for a Europe fit for the digital age, said the commission has enough evidence, quote, to formally open a proceeding against X, end quote. OK, uh, in April, the EU, uh, the European Commission, excuse me, named the X social media platform as one of 19, quote, very large online platforms, end quote, or VLOPs, VLOPs, that would need to comply with the new EU law and compliance requirements went into effect in August. Ms. Vestager said, quote, the higher the risk large platforms pose to our society, the more specific the requirements of the Digital Services Act are, we take any breach of our rules very seriously, end quote. The investigation marks the first time the European Commission has initiated investigative proceedings under the DSA, which was enacted, enacted in October of 2022. Good old Commissioner Terry Breton said, quote, today's opening of formal proceedings against X makes it clear that with the DSA, the time of big online platforms behaving like they are too big to care has come to an end. We now have clear rules, <clears throat> X anti-obligations, strong oversight, speedy enforcement, and deterrent sanctions, and we will make full use of our toolbox to protect our citizens and democracies, end quote. So there we have it, Misty. Is this a, a, an effective tool or is uh, people like Terry Breton and Miss, uh, what was her name, Vestager, effective tools? Just saying. What do you think? <laughs> yes. Well played, sir. They are tools. I agree 100%. Listen, welcome to fascism, y'all. This is legit fascism. First of all, I love the fact that he says we now have clear rules. No, you don't. I, I've still yet to see anybody um, uh, adequately define what disinformation actually is. Who gets to decide what is disinformation? Uh, what is there like a board? I want to know the names of the people on that board. Who gets it? Because listen, if anything has showed us over the past three to four years is that disinformation is a load of crap. Um, how many times did quote unquote authoritative sources give us information that six months later was proved to be incredibly false, incredibly false? 
false. Uh, and you could argue knowingly false, I think, in many of those cases. So um, this is insanity. It is completely insane. I also love that at the end of this article, too, uh, there's a quote from Mr. Breton. Uh, he says, <laughs> quote, you can run, but you can't hide. Beyond voluntary commitments, fighting disinformation will be legal obligation under DSA as of August 25th. Our teams will be ready for enforcement. I mean, he sounds like a tool. Um, this is, again, pure insanity. I have yet to see anybody give me legitimate, um, uh, 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 detailed explanation of how these sorts of things are defined, how these sorts of things are enforced, who gets to decide um, who is uh, giving disinformation or false. And listen, this is we're talking about Elon Musk, who, by the way, is currently um, limiting visibility for certain posts. I have a friend of mine who um, is an anti-Zionist uh, Jewish woman who has had her um, uh, one of her tweets has been limited on visibility because she um, was speaking about uh, uh, calling out Zionism and her, her it's she's been censored. Uh, there's people who are still right now currently getting suspended or banned uh, for numerous different reasons, some of which includes speaking against Israel. And so it is absurd to me that this is even a thing that they're talking about. Elon Musk is not uh, he's not everything that they've claimed to be. I think he's really just being used um, as kind of the figurehead for this whole fight um, that they're but listen if you're in Europe you need to fight so hard against this stuff it is crazy to me that this is where we're at where we have them uh, able to enforce this kind of stuff so like this is just blanket enforcement of we just get to decide what information is legit and what isn't what you're allowed to see what you're not allowed to see uh, and it's pure insanity but I don't what do you think Adam I mean this is nuts right Wow, from what I can tell, it's not like anybody's going to jail over this um, crime. So that's one thing to keep in mind. That at the end of the day, after yeah. all of this investigation is opened up and it takes a long time, then they'll maybe charge him a hefty fine, right? Like up to six yeah. percent of his global revenues. Six percent. I, I, you know, I don't care who you are or how much you make. You can probably afford to have to cough up six percent, and it's not going to kill you. So. Uh, for as deadly and dangerous as what he's doing is, Misty, I find the punishment doesn't seem to fit the alleged crime. What do you think? Yeah, 100%. And I also think it's interesting, too, that they talk about Yaccarino. Linda Yaccarino talks about how there's no place on X for terrorist organizations or violent extremist groups. And yet... Israel has been posting video after video after video of war crimes, legitimate, indisputable war crimes all over Twitter. Benjamin Netanyahu has tweeted out a whole bunch of them, all, a whole host of people uh, who are high-level Israeli officials have been tweeting out legitimate war crimes and crimes against humanity, and that's okay. That's totally fine. If you dare to speak out against that, then suddenly you are this crazy extremist and a terrorist sympathizer, and you must be silenced, and it's just ridiculous. But, I mean, we're going to see, as I've been saying, and the reason why I'm getting so fired up about this is because I'm very frustrated because people who have been in the free speech game trying to fight against this stuff for years have been screaming that this is where we were headed. And here we are. And this it, this doesn't stop here. I mean, as you said, this he will likely just get a relatively insignificant fine and move about his business. But it doesn't stop here. This stuff's going to continue to get worse and worse. They're going to continue to build upon it. This is really just uh, uh, softening you up for further totalitarianism. So if you value free speech in any way, shape, form or fashion, you need to fight against this stuff. It's crazy business. So. Uh, all right, Adam, thanks so much for bringing us the story. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We're going to be back with Kyle Anzalone right after this on TNT.
TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, Follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. If you're still wearing a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Our guest today is our pal, Kyle Anzlone. Kyle is the opinion editor at antiwar.com and the news editor at the Libertarian Institute. He also uh, writes articles regularly for both of those, mostly at the Institute, but for both of those. Um, and by the way, both antiwar.com and the Libertarian Institute are currently in the middle of their winter fundraisers. Um, so obviously you can go to antiwar.com and then also libertarianinstitute.org um, if you do so feel inclined and uh, contribute to their efforts there. I love the work that they do at both outlets. So definitely go check it out. Um, um, and uh, and consider donating. And also, Kyle is the host of the show Conflicts of Interest, which you can find on all of the platforms, YouTube, all the podcast platforms, all that good stuff. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for being here. Happy to be back on the show, Misty. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you, even though it's usually we all it's just bad news, mostly. Um, but there's a lot. So obviously, I want to talk a lot about Israel, Palestine. It's obviously the issue of the day. Um, but there's quite a few things that I would like to update people on uh, that are outside of that uh, area. So let's start with a quick update on recent activity in South Korea. Uh, this is a subject that you and I discuss on the show pretty regularly. Um, and recently, a U.S. nuclear sub arrived in South Korea. What could possibly go wrong? Um, uh, so tell us what's going on here and what's the uh, potential implication? Yeah, Misty, I probably said this to your audience before, but, you know, under the Biden administration, there's been major escalations in military tensions on the Korean Peninsula that have almost gone completely unnoticed. It's almost like everybody still assumes we're in this 
Trump era time where there's a, a real period of de-escalation on the Korean Peninsula, and that's just not the case. Uh, the Biden administration engaged in another major escalation this week. They had the USS Missouri, which is a Virginia class nuclear power to tat submarine uh, make a port call in South Korea. There's a couple of reasons why this is so provocative. Of course, if the U.S. was going to carry out any kind of preemptive attack on North Korea, it seems likely that nuclear submarines would be involved in th those attacks. And also uh, because, you know, you assume that these submarines are kind of sailing around all the time. And the reason you have a nuclear submarine is because they're very quiet and, and you could, you know, have them under the sea and nobody knows where they are. Are, but actually having that show up in South Korea is a real just signal to the North Koreans like, hey, just so you know, if you do anything we don't like, we're willing to nuke you on behalf of South Korea. And, and so that's the way the North Koreans received that message. Uh, in response, the North Koreans released a pretty fiery statement, uh, basically calling the U.S. and South Korean military gangsters who are increasing tensions on the Korean Peninsula, and that North Korea would use nuclear weapons if their you know regime is threatened. And this is something that North Korea has said time and time again uh, throughout the Biden administration that we are getting close to the point where there's going to be a nuclear war on the Korean Peninsula. So this is very troubling. And, you, you know, that's kind of gone on notice with everything else going on, I think is really important. And I also feel like, Missy, there's been a real change in rhetoric from the North Korean side, you know, compared to how it's been under particularly the administration of Kim Jong-un in North Korea where before uh, it was a little less fiery, where now it, it seems that they are really, you know, trying to raise the alert that, you know, they feel like the U.S. and South Korea are preparing for a regime change operation and, and that they will take action if needed. Yeah, and that's it's so um, a, a little bit of why this is so troubling to me is that this it's not getting talked about at all, really, Kyle. I mean, I have not heard anybody. Um, I mean, other than a couple of people, yourself and some others in uh, independent media, nobody's talking about this. And of course, there's a lot of things going on geopolitically. There's a situation in Russia, Ukraine. Now we have this unbelievably dangerous conflict happening in the Middle East. Taiwan's always been kind of on the back burner. But I think that this one, and especially as you mentioned, the uh, the clear escalations that have been happening that you and I. I have covered on the show numerous times um, under the Biden administration is so uh, I think that people you people really need to be paying more attention to this particular uh, potential conflict, because this one, I think, could uh, I mean, they're all bad, obviously. But this one, I think, is just I mean, as you said, just increasing escalations. It's just really troubling. Um, OK, so uh, let's move now to uh, Guyana, because my news producer and I covered the recent tensions there with Venezuela. Uh, but it looks like, Kyle, you might actually have good news for us on this one, right? Yeah, so there were some talks between uh, Venezuela and Guyana, actually involving the leadership, like the actual leaders of both countries, Maduro, the president of Venezuela, and Ali, who I believe his title is president, but the leader of Guyana. And they met in St. Vincent's and Grenada in talks that were really uh, prompted by Brazil. So give Lula da Silva a, a real hand on this one. Although I, I think in total, there's a couple other Latin American organizations that have really been uh, pushing for these talks to happen. And so uh, Ali's statements at the TOTS were not quite as positive as Maduro. He says, you know, we're going to defend our territory. And, and by the way, the TOTS are over this disputed region of Guyana that, that is currently, you know, drawn within the borders of Guyana. Uh, the history goes back, 
hundreds of years uh in you know is a relation uh, a legacy of colonialism that there's a dispute over this territory which i i think is kind of very sparsely habited i i think only like uh 10% or so of guyana's population maybe 15% lives in that territory uh but in recent years there's been a lot of offshore oil discoveries uh in that area and one of the things that's been going on is that you, the agreement that was in place is basically that in until uh, Venezuela and Guyana settle the situation over what happens in this region, which hasn't been settled, uh, you know, neither country would tap the offshore oil resources, but uh, Edson Mobil in coordination with Guyana has been doing that. And they actually have plans to increase that quite a bit. I think they want to export like our uh, get 1.2 million barrels per oil a, a day out of the ground in Guyana by 2028. That's currently at 400,000 barrels per oil a day. And by the way, we're going to have uh tomorrow on antiwar.com there'll be a brand new article out by ted snyder that you could read uh with a little bit more detail about the history here uh if anybody wants that so uh yeah there's a dispute over this region particularly the offshore oil rights and maduro says that the tots went well and the two leaders did sign an ag agreement at the tots that said that they will not use military that they will not use threats to resolve this uh and that there's going to be more rounds of, of tots upcoming in uh Brazil. Brazil, I think, is planning to hold the next round of talks. Now, the threat here, Misty, is that the U.S. is looking at uh, giving support to Guyana. And so, look, if, if the situation calls for each side to make concessions to come to some sort of agreement, the U.S. backing uh, the small South American country and, you know, with the power imbalance between the U.S. military and the Venezuelan military, I think it's going to, you know, make Guyana seem that they could take a very hardline position here. And, and so I'm not sure if the negotiations will end up working out, but the fact that the two leaders have vowed to go down the diplomat path is a very good sign uh, to start off here and just shows what could happen when the U.S. doesn't feel like they have to resolve every problem in the world. Right. And yes, I am always a big fan of seeing anybody attempting diplomacy, but you're right. Um, and that's what uh, Adam and I discussed when we covered this. Uh, I think it was maybe last week. I don't remember. Um, but the United States very uh, is very clearly trying to get involved here. And we know that they have been attempting to uh, you know, kind of bully Venezuela for a long time now. So it's very likely that they're going to attempt to get involved here. Hopefully Guyana doesn't allow that to influence their decision or these uh, attempts at uh, diplomacy, but we'll see. I mean, it, it is good news though. I'll take it. <laughs> I will take it. A little bit of good news. I will take it. So uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. Um, but at least at the very least, they are attempting, um, you know, uh, diplomatic talks and kudos to, uh, you know, Lula and anybody else who is attempting to uh, uh, kind of uh, mediate these, uh, this sort of situation situation because it could it is really tense right now um but it does look as if they are at least attempting those diplomatic talks so okay let's take a quick break and get headlines we're going to be back here on tnt radio exciting news brace yourself tnt radio news for tnt radio news this is james o'neill Young members of the U.S. Army are throwing a TikTok mutiny to complain about bad food being pushed to stay in shape their freedoms being suppressed and more a Waffle House customer in Birmingham, Alabama, shot and killed a man Sunday morning who was allegedly threatening to shoot patrons in the restaurant. Young members of the U.S. Army are throwing a TikTok mutiny to complain about bad food being pushed to stay in shape, their freedoms being suppressed, and more. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. 
TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. All right. First of all, TikTok mutiny made me giggle a little bit. And I think that would be an excellent band name. That's fantastic. Um, all right. We're here with Kyle Anslow. And we're just talking about uh, all of the excellent articles that he has uh, been re- writing for the past couple of weeks uh, on geopolitical stuff. We're going to jump into what's happening in Ukraine. Obviously, that situation has largely fallen off the radar in terms of mainstream media coverage. There's a little bit here and there. Uh, and U.S. support is certainly waning. We've seen that happening for some time now. Uh, and that's definitely caused some conflict in Congress as they're obviously attempting to pass a budget. There's a lot of push and poll going back before uh, between the various um, groups. Um, and there's an article out at the Hill today that you actually sent me uh, that discuss, discusses just that. Um, and the White House will deplete Ukraine funds after next weapons package. And this I find to be super interesting. Uh, John Kirby came out and said that, quote, when that is done, uh, we'll have no more replenishment authority available to us, end quote, talking about uh, the approval of one more weapons package for Ukraine this year, saying that that will exhaust the funds for arming Ukraine. Now, to me, I think that that's a good thing. I think we've done uh, far too much damage in Ukraine. Uh, but tell us what's going on here. Yeah. So as you said, John Kirby made this statement today. Uh, you, you know, the White House has been depleting its funds for some time over the course of the past two or three months, Misty. The only funds the White House has had to arm Ukraine has just been the uh, Pentagon accounting error, uh, what they call an accounting error, which freed up, I think, like $6 billion in presidential drawdown authority funds. And they've been really milking that for the past few months. And the White House has talked about, it seems like over December, maybe they've slowed down the pace of the arms shipments to Ukraine uh, to stretch that out. Apparently, that is being felt on the battlefield in Ukraine. We had a Ukrainian military commander tell Reuters today uh, that it, it it's causing the Ukrainians to reassess their battle plans and to begin looking at taking more defensive positions. However, I do think that another Ukraine aid package will ultimately get passed. Uh, I think the Republicans are holding out, looking for concessions on the immigration issue, which the Biden administration is probably in the end going, going to be willing to make. And there, there's a lot of signs and signals around that. And I will put one asterisk on the fact that they're saying that this will be the last weapons package that they have funding for. Congress just passed the National Defense Authorization Act, and that is on President Biden's desk. That doesn't have a significant amount of Ukraine aid funding in it, but there is apparently $300 million. I think that's supposed to be in like the State Department for military assistance, which is really supposed to go to uh, contracting to buy more weapons for Ukraine, but I, I'm sure they could just kind of fudge the way they're doing it. And if Let's say the current weapons package takes Ukraine to the first week of January. Maybe that will buy them another week and uh, give the Republicans uh, some time, you know, that at least, you know, the White House is hoping they could whip the Republicans uh, into, you know, getting whatever immigration concessions the Democrats are willing to give and then going ahead and and passing that package, which isn't just about military aid for Ukraine and the border, uh, but also includes military aid for Israel and also uh, for the military buildup in the Asia Pacific. A a lot of that or a portion that is going to Taiwan, uh, but I believe there's also aid in there that will go towards uh, developing the AUKUS pact with Australia, developing uh, new military positions in Japan and Guam as well. 
Yeah. And there's uh, a government shutdown looming. I think that there's a couple different deadlines that are uh, coming up in January for those kinds of talks. But um, yeah, I think, listen, the Biden administration is in a very weak position, uh, given the fact that we are heading into an election year and the Biden's approval ratings are in the toilet. I think the last time I checked, they were in the low to mid thirties, which is unreal. I mean, it's uh, that's exactly where it should be. Actually, it should be lower. Um, But uh, yeah, I think that they're in a very weak position. So I think you're right. I think almost certainly Biden's going to cave on that. Um, We also have a couple of interesting stories here from you that go kind of go together. Uh, There's one here from December 11th discussing how Russia's oil revenue in October was higher than any month in 2021, followed by an article out from December 12th. And by the way, you can find both of these at libertarianinstitute.org. But there's another one out from December 12th regarding the U.S. issuing hundreds of new sanctions targeting Russia. Uh, And we've talked about how the attempts to economically crush Russia haven't been nearly as effective as the West was hoping for. Uh, But tell us a little bit about what's going on here with both these articles. Yeah, Misty. So the U.S. and its allies in the Group of Seven, the G7 last year, instituted a price cap on Russian oil. And at the time, they were talking about how this may go too far and actually do too much damage, uh, not really to the Russian economy. That wasn't what they were concerned about. But in doing damage to the Russian economy, it would do a lot of damage to the oil market in total and cause, you know, a really catastrophic event, uh, increase in oil prices. Uh, But what's basically happened is the price cap has just been ineffective. Russia has found new countries to ship its oil to. It's selling its oil for roughly the the market price. Uh, as far as I've seen, there the discount on the Russian oil is maybe two or three dollars a barrel at this point. They're selling a lot of it to India and China, and the U.S. claims that Russia is doing it with a shadow fleet of tankers, which I, I think is really kind of misleading and just a propaganda thing because uh, Bloomberg even reports that they had like a documentary film crew out there filming the russian ship transfer the oil and you know nobody was like trying to obscure what bloomberg was doing so it's not really hidden it's just that russia has a network of uh tankers that are willing to transport and sell their oil to china and and india and they're not afraid of being slapped with sanctions uh by washington and so that is the the second article you referenced there is is really in relation to this first one uh that the price cap has been ineffective and russia is still able to export its energy uh so now the u.s is issuing sanctions i'm not sure they're really going to have any effect my guess is anybody with a significant amount of power in russia has already been hit with sanctions. Uh, Some of the targeted entities were from Turkey, India, the UAE. And so that's a little bit interesting since these are countries that have stronger ties than the U.S. They're not countries that say the U.S. is looking to isolate like India or uh, Iran, Russia, China, Venezuela, or something like that. Um, But at the same time, you know, from what we've seen so far, I don't think this is going to have any real impact. Uh, The one you know, negative thing that I have seen recently about the economic war, Misty, is uh, Jeffrey Pyatt, who people might remember uh, having an infamous phone call with Victoria Newland plotting the 2014 coup in Ukraine that really caused all the uh, problems that we see today, uh, you know, you know, happening in this region of the world. But he said that uh, the U.S. is looking to cut Russian energy exports by 50 percent by 20. 30. Uh, but the troubling thing is he says even after the war ends, we're going to have to keep these sanctions on Russia uh, for years and years and years to make sure they can't build up the military equipment to then invade Ukraine. But Missy, it sounds like to me, if the, you know, 
taking the sanctions away isn't even on the table, then Russia is probably just going to, you know, continue with their conquest of Ukraine. That would probably be a, a pretty important part of negotiating any end to the war. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that he just came out and said this uh, so openly, I think, just shows that that it's never really been about Ukraine. It's all I mean, we've always known that, right? This has always been about attempting to weaken Russia militarily and economically. And Ukraine was just being used as cannon fodder. And so you're right. This it gives no incentive to Russia uh, to uh, to end the uh, the situation that's going on right now. I mean, why would they? The, the whole point is that they could potentially negotiate an end to the sanctions. And so, yeah, I think you're right. That's probably going to be uh, one of the top things that they're that's going to be on the negotiation negotiating table if there's ever negotiations <laughs> we'll see um all right we got to take a quick break hang tight we're gonna be back here on tnt radio de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective there are big changes going on in the overall global weather pattern over the next 15 to 20 days exactly opposite of what happened last year the united states overall is going to become a big focal point for winter weather europe also again once we get past this transition from the 20th through the 30th. So Europe is warmed up, but a lot of cold is coming, it looks to me, like January, February. And the U.S. may have another bout with snowmageddon, especially in the eastern part of the United States. But this is all part of this climate hypothesis I've developed due to underwater volcanic activity. Now, I've gone over this a couple of times, and it's pretty hard to do it in a minute or two, so I'm not going to review it. But what we said over a month ago was that there was going to be a lot of damaging storms from the El Nino this year, the Gulf of Mexico up the East Coast, and we got another one coming. We already saw Florida blasted back on November 17th, or here comes the next one. But I also said, look out for the hurricane season from hell next hurricane season. That's already on my radar. And if you want to read about it, you go to weatherbell.com. It's not behind the paywall. And you can take a look at what I'm looking at with that. But none of this is part of man-made climate change. That's why I like getting out in front. Because if you look at the readings that I've been doing and actually look at what I've been writing about all this, you find that there is a reason behind it and it has nothing to do with CO2 emissions. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov kids. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are here with Kyle Anslone. Uh, and now let's jump into Israel-Palestine. There's obviously so much to discuss. Um, so let's just dive in. We'll see how much we can get through. So let's first start with a new report out from Human Rights Watch, uh, which says that Israel is using starvation as a weapon of war. Now, listen, this is not a new strategy for Israel. They very famously uh, did research on the minimum caloric intake that was necessary to sustain life. Uh, they called it putting Gaza on a diet. Um, uh, and then they would only allow truckloads with that amount of food into Gaza every single day. Um, so uh, this new report out from Human Rights Watch, what do you make of this, Kyle? It seems to me as 
as if it doesn't matter. Israel can commit as many war crimes as they want, as many crimes against humanity as they want. It doesn't seem like anybody's really interested in accountability or pushback here. I think this is really good evidence, Misty, that what Israel is trying to do here is just conduct a genocide in Gaza. You know, killing a lot of civilians with weapons uh, is absolutely brutal and awful. But if you're talking about actually decimating a population of 2 million people, uh, using munitions to do that is actually probably very complicated and difficult. Where you know, what you could do to kill a large people in a small amount of time is don't give them food and don't give them medical care, don't give them water and don't give them sanitation, right? So you're not eating meals every day. I think uh, I read from some World Food Program reports of, you know, talking with people in Gaza that uh, one official estimates that uh, Gazan people are only, nine out of 10 Gazan people are not eating meals every day. So they're skipping meals. Uh, 50% of households are saying that they are in a moderate need of of food and so you know that probably means that most parents aren't eating meals every day maybe children are getting one meal a day and uh, i think like 34 percent are in severe need of food which means they don't have access to food people are on the streets begging uh they're eating bread made with non-potable water it's it's a really really desperate situation uh for a lot of people in gaza and what this human rights report watch report just does is details that this is intentional they had the statements from the israeli officials saying so uh they have the actual policy on the ground how it's played out the destruction not only of bakeries but also greenhouses farm equipments fields fruit trees all these kinds of things that would sustain life in gaza they are absolutely destroying and then you know once you've already weakened people by not giving them enough to eat uh you know any kind of waterborne disease that's going to call vom vomiting and diarrhea can kill a large number of people particularly in the under five and then elderly age categories you, you know people of middle age 30 year old men they could survive quite a long time without you know having good water or food a limited amount of food surviving on absolute scraps and things like that uh but children really can't and, and they start to die off very quickly and so that's the situation that israel is creating in gaza i think the really important part of that human rights watch report is just that this is happening intentionally and yes. when you have major organizations saying so i think it's hopefully going to force people uh to start to realize that this isn't just something brutal that's going on like a, a, an overzealous revenge for october 7th but this is a real genocide aimed at just wiping out the palestinians that live there yeah no question about it and listen again i keep saying this they have ne israel has never been shy about their intentions not just since october 7th this is something they have been discussing for decades and i think that it is absurd that anybody is denying that that's the fact and especially as you mentioned if you just look at the uh, locations that they are choosing to target that they are choosing to attack it's hospitals it's bakeries it's schools it's refugee camps it is very clear that they are attempting to completely destroy any sustainable life any uh, any ability to to sustain life in Gaza. They're hoping to drive people to the south and they're going to bomb the south too. Uh, this is no question about it, a genocide in action. And it's very strange to me that there are still people who are denying that. So let's also move because this also goes along nicely with a couple other uh, articles that you have uh, uh, out. So there's one, the Gaza healthcare system on its knees as expert warn disease will spread. And you just kind of touched on that, but I think it's uh, really important that we drive this point home because again, 
they've really attacked almost all, I think maybe all of uh, Gaza's hospitals. And that is a very intentional um, strategy. They want to, uh, that. then there's no way for anybody to receive aid. There's no way for anybody to get medical care. There's no way for the injured to, I mean, they're doing amputations without anesthesia on the floor of a hospital. Um, and as you said, as a disease starts to run rampant, then there's also no, there's no way for them to get care or medicine uh, when those situations erupt. So talk a little bit about that because this is, it's horrific what is happening right now. Yeah, you know, Misty, I'm not sure if there's any hospitals in Gaza that are really uh, functioning now that haven't received some sort of damage. When you talk about any medical facility in northern Gaza at this point, they're almost all operating where you can't stand in front of the windows or Israeli snipers will shoot you. So everybody's crawling around on the ground. They have patients laying on the floors in these corridors. And the World Health Organization is warning that the Gaza healthcare system is about to collapse and break down, that there's just not a... a you know, enough health care for the people that need it. There's already not, but, you know, in an extreme level where, you know, you would have to say, reject people who are in need of amputation or, you know, who are critically injured. You just can't care for people anymore. Uh, Missy, I saw in uh, Khan Yunus, which is one of the uh, largest, the largest city in southern Gaza, uh, there was a video published by the Guardian, a, a major, you know, UK news outlet uh, that had a taint shell that was fired into a mater maternity ward and killed uh, one child. Fortunately, it didn't explode and only killed the child that it physically hit. But they actually had the taint shell. Uh, they were carrying it around, just showing that, you know, this is what Israel is doing to us. They're firing on maternity wards and hospitals. And, it, it, you know, it almost seems unbelievable. And it's almost I, I hesitate to, you know, report on this, Misty, because why would anybody actually open fire on a hospital? Right. Why? How could a sniper sit across from a hospital and shoot doctors who are caring for patients? Or how could soldiers show up at a hospital that has 70 medical staff and say, to the doctors, five of you get to stay, everybody else goes. And yeah. you know what that, that means that patients die. And we have seen that what happens when doctors evacuate hospitals completely, like what happened in Northern Gaza, uh, they forced the doctors to leave the hospital. The doctors said, Hey, we cannot transport these premature babies without having medical equipment to do so. And the Israelis said, well, you can't take the medical equipment to do so. So leave the babies, the babies were left in the Israelis, let them to die and rot on their hospital hospital beds. And so this is the situation of the Gaza healthcare system. It, it, it's horrific beyond belief. And one of the things that uh, is pointed out in that article by Israeli professors is that on top of the healthcare system being destroyed, the sewage system being destroyed and not having doctors, uh, a, a large portion of the area that uh, Israel is forcing Gazans into has no infrastructure whatsoever. So no toilets and no anything like that. So people have nowhere to go to the bathroom. And so they're going everywhere. And, and so this is, I, I shouldn't exaggerate, you know, they're, I'm sure they're going in limited areas, but still when you don't have bathrooms, there's nowhere for the sewage to go. And so it's going to create problems. And, yeah. uh, you know, disease is starting to spread. And these Israeli professors, they're not really warned about it spreading in Gaza, Misty. They're just saying that this could impact the Israeli soldiers and then spread inside of Israel. And that's really what they're worried about. But the fact that they're worried about spreading inside of Israel where there's an established healthcare system means it's absolutely going to decimate, decimate and ravage the people of Gaza and likely uh, end up with a, a very large pile of young Gazan children and elderly. Yeah. 
There's no question about it. And as you point out in this article, a resident of one of the uh, uh, region of Gaza said that there are no toilets. So people relieve themselves wherever they can. And you also mentioned that on average, there is one shower unit for every 700 people and one toilet for every 150. That is crazy. That is absolutely unlivable. And you're right. It's it, This is only going to continue to get worse as more and more people get sick. It's going to spread. Uh, and it's just such a death. And also we have the situation where you have an article out from December 13th. Um, not only uh, is this creating an untenable situation just in, in terms of living, uh, but they're and not only are they attacking hospitals, they're also firing on ambulances and arresting medical staff, which is just insane to me. Now, they, they'll try to pretend as if, oh, well, Hamas uses ambulances. There is zero evidence for that. There is zero, zero, zero evidence for that, as is most of the case uh, in most of the cases when Israel tries to claim that, you know, Hamas is hiding in hospitals. There's never been any uh, documented evidence for that. They've tried to manufacture evidence for it, which has all been really <laughs> embarrassingly done. But tell us about this, because it's just it is crazy to me that not only are they, and not only are they firing on ambulances, we should also mention that they are preventing ambulances to get to the wounded, as we just saw recently uh, when I, Yael al-Dadud was uh, shot and his cameraman was killed. Uh, Israel prevented the ambulance from getting to his cameraman and he ended up dying after bleeding out on the floor for hours. Uh, but yeah, they're also firing on these ambulances. So what's going on with that? Yeah. And Missy, I should just say that number of 150 bathrooms for every one person that was at for UN shelters when there was about 900,000 Palestinians at UN shelters. I believe I've seen that number is now up to 1.2 million. Uh, oh. And that was a week ago. And so, uh, you know, somebody who's better at math could figure out on the <laughs> yeah. spot real here what, what that means for the number of bathrooms per people. But it, it's absolutely abysmal. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's been destruction of UN facilities since then as well. And, uh, you know, when you're having overuse of facilities, they stop working and shut down. And so, you know, the, the situation is only going to co compound and get worse. Um but yeah, as far as the ambulance being attacked, you know, one of the important things here, Misty, is that this ambulance was an international aid coalition ambulance. It's the World Health Organization, the World Food Program, uh, and these different, you know, kind of little UN NGOs that exist uh, that were trying to uh, reach a hospital in northern Gaza to bring patients to southern Gaza. And on the way north at the checkpoint, you know, they force everybody to get out of the ambulance. They a lot of these searches are humiliating. They strip people down. They force you to kneel at gunpoint in front of the Israeli soldiers. Uh, they take you away, but eventually they do allow them to pass and proceed north. They say that the situation at the hospitals in north northern Gaza are absolutely atrocious. Like I said, uh, people crawling around because of sni sniper fire, an insufficient amount of not only medical resources, but medical staff completely relying on volunteers other than the doctors at, at some of these medical facilities facilities. And then they they say after they got the patients at this hospital in northern Gaza, you would think that they would just let them take everything to, to southern Gaza at that point. You've already harassed all these international aid workers, but the harassment on the way back south was actually worse, Misty. Well, I, I should add on the way north, they, they actually did fire on the ambulance convoy. They damaged one of the ambulances and some medical supplies in a truck. But then on the way back south, they actually detained some of these uh, medical staff so long that they decided that they had to continue on the convoy without them. A patient died, uh, you know, from his injuries. Who knows if he would have survived them anyways, but certainly without the additional harassment and delays, he would have had a better chance of living. And so this is, you know, just to show the cruelty of the Israeli soldiers in Gaza.
Yeah, it's horrific. And it is, uh, again, there's, it seems like there's no, uh, nobody cares about accountability or the fact that um, this is a literal genocide. There's no question about it taking place on the world stage in broad daylight. Um, and obviously there are millions of people in the street protesting against it, but really the only country, the only people with any level of power who are doing anything about it, strangely enough, is Yemen, which, I mean, Yemen's been dealing with its own stuff for a very long time. But uh, let's let's switch to that a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. I wanted to get to both Lemon and Yebanon. Uh, Le- Le- <laughs> lemon and Yebanon. Jeez Louise. Yemen and Lebanon. That's hilarious. Um, uh, but let's talk about the Houthis, the Red Sea. Uh, this is a, an incredible situation. Uh, Yemen is really uh, causing some issues here for Israel, costing them billions of dollars. Um, uh, but this also, I think, it really could lead to danger of obvious escalation. So talk a little bit about what's going on here. Yeah, Missy. So the most important thing you used to point out there is you're saying this is done by Yemen. When if you read anything in the mainstream media, they'll say the Houthi rebels, when yeah. in reality, <laughs> the Houthis are the group that govern 80% of the Yemeni population, uh, not the majority of the country. Most of the country is desert, sparsely populated, but most of the people in Yemen live in Houthi-held territory. They control the capital city, and they have for eight years now. And so, uh, I mean, they are the government of Yemen. They're not just some rebel group. And what they have done is they have started basically attacking. I'm not sure, you know, they say every tanker or um, cargo ship they're attacking has some ties to Israel. Some of them seem pretty loose to me, Misty, but you know, overall, they're just attacking ships. And this is essentially, you know, shutting down the Suez Canal. Every, everybody now, the four largest shipping companies in the world, I believe, have started sending all their shipments around Africa, uh, you know, going going the long way around. So this is going to add a lot of time, a lot of money. I think the U.S. is ramping up to carry out some pretty major strikes in Yemen. They moved the USS Eisenhower, an aircraft carrier, out of the Persian Gulf and into, I think it's in the Gulf of Aden now. So that is... Um, if you look at the Arabian Peninsula, it's off the southwestern kind of portion there, north of Somalia. And uh, I, I'm guessing that's going to mean they're going to be carrying out some strikes against the Houthi pretty soon. The big problem here is Misty is, uh, you know, the in Yemen, there's been an ongoing war since 2015. And the Houthis have really defeated the Saudis and the Americans and the Emiratis in that war. And it's been in a period of a ceasefire for a couple of years. And, you know, the people of Gaza are in a bad situation. Uh, the people of Yemen have been in a bad situation for a very long time as well. And things have finally started to get better as the ceasefire has loosely held over the past 18 months, I think now. Uh, but the, the problem is, Misty, is that the U.S. starts carrying out strikes against the Houthis. You know, they might hit Saudi Arabia or or something like that to strike back at the United States. And we could really see uh, the ceasefire break down and war return to Yemen. So this is a, a really terrible situation. But it's very important to note that the reason the Houthi are doing this is because of what's happening in Israel. And they say they'll stop once Israel stops what they're doing in Gaza. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to see Yemen, as you mentioned, they've been going through a really difficult time for, I mean, really a decade plus. I mean, really for a very long time, but it's been especially bad for about a decade or so. And so the idea that they are uh, taking such a dramatic stand here is impressive. Um, and But as I mentioned, that it really does, uh, uh, there's a real potential for extreme escalation uh, based on this because Israel's not happy about having to go all the way around Africa uh, for these trade routes. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Now, I wish we time to get to Lebanon. I'll have to have you back so that we can get into that a little bit because that's also a very interesting uh, kind of periphery situation that's going on. Uh, But tell everybody where they can find you. 
Yeah, so I publish most of my work at the Libertarian Institute, but I also write for antiwar.com. I'm the opinion editor at antiwar.com, so check out the viewpoints and the spotlight article. That's why I curate and work on uh, there every day. At the Institute, I'm the news editor, so I put out the show, Conflicts of Interest, write some news pieces and the Daily News Roundup. And then I'm actually going to be on Charlie Robinson's uh, show uh, on TNT Radio tomorrow, uh, 2 nice. o'clock. So nice. Yeah, I love Charlie. On, He's on one of my show. favorite people. I love Charlie. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We will get you scheduled to come back on very soon. I appreciate you taking the time. I'll be back tomorrow with another show for you. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shays after this on TNT radio.